Welcome to the Lord's house today. Very glad that you are here. Let us praise the Lord with number 512. I must have the Savior with me. This is a good prayer and one that is pressing for us at every time of the day, of the month, of the year. I must have the Savior with me, for I dare not walk alone. I must feel His presence near me and His arm around me thrown. Let's stand as we worship the Lord today. that was good singing today as we commence our worship and our time together. It's never a thought that should be far from any one of our minds. It is so vital for us to be conscious of having the Lord with us at every moment of every day. Let's bow before the Lord now, please, and commit our service and our time to Him. Our loving Father, we take a moment, Lord, to still our hearts 
in your most holy presence. And at the very beginning of our meeting now, we are asking for the help of the Spirit of God to direct our praying, to direct, Lord, our meditation on the Word, and to help us to be concentrating, focused, and settled, that, Lord, we would learn more of our Lord Jesus today, that He would be glorified in our gathering and worship, that every believer, we would all be very conscious of the Savior's presence with us. For, Lord, we need help. How can we abide a day? How can we go through a week or a month without being conscious of the Savior by our side and the Spirit's direction and guidance? Lord, we, we are so needy, so dependent. And Lord, we don't want to ever get to the point and the place where we are so self-dependent that we forget how much we stand in need each day of the Holy Spirit's direction and guidance. Thankful, Father, for the mercies that we have experienced once more over this past week. And as we start a new day and a new week, what better place to be than in the house of prayer and of thanksgiving and praise. And Lord, as we are here, we want to be in a right mind, a right heart, and praying that all distractions would be shut out of our minds. Let not the concerns of tomorrow, whatever they may be, don't let them intrude upon our time now. Rather, Lord, let us present ourselves as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable unto God, our reasonable service, Lord, and help us to be prepared and ready for whatever You have for us in the rest and the balance of our life. Lead us, we pray, Father, step by step. Do not allow us to go astray. Do not allow us to be burdened and weighed down by the cares of life. Don't allow us to be distracted by the temptations of the wicked one and taken off our course. But keep us, we pray, dear Father, in the center of Your divine and perfect and holy will. We want to see our Lord Jesus magnified through our lives. We want to make a difference to those in our family and our neighbors, our friends, our workmates, and certainly, Lord, in the house of prayer and the congregation that You've set us in. We want, Father, to be of single-hearted, one mind. We want to glorify our Lord Jesus Christ continually. And Lord, to this end, multiply our fellowship. May we grow in grace and in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus. And Father, as we grow in the Savior and grow one toward another, let us grow in our numbers that others will be brought in under the sound of the Word, that they will be able to both encourage and see the work advanced. Bless the many visitors that have been coming in recently. We ask, Lord, to pour out Your grace and Your Spirit upon them in every single need they have. Of course, the greatest need would be the salvation of their soul. 
And Lord, we ask that blessing would continue on all of the postcards that have been sent throughout our community. Bless every single one of them. And some may have been set aside. Some may be under another pile of papers now. But Lord, bring that out at the right time and use the gospel contained on that outreach card to bring sinners to Christ, to bring Christians to a desire of a deeper walk with God. And Lord, bless us all to that end in every form of outreach that we have. Give us opportunities. Open the doors, we pray. And Lord, loose our tongues, for sometimes, Father, we, we feel so limited, so tied up, and we don't know what to say, it seems. We don't know how to communicate properly. But take all that away and fill us with the Spirit of God so that we can speak the Word of God with great liberty and let the words flow out of the communication of our heart that we will share our faith and love of the Lord Jesus. And Father, give us the joy of leading sinners to Christ. So multiply our fellowship here. Bless us. We thank, Lord, of all of our sister congregations in Canada, United States, and around the world, and all of our missionaries. Father, bless every faithful tongue that is proclaiming Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And we ask, Father, that there would be an expansion in the work and that all the needs we have, financial and practical, Lord, that they would be brought in so that the work of God is not hindered, Lord. We want to see it expanded and growing, and so often we're limited by resources. Well, Lord, bring those in, we pray, that there will be no lacking, no wanting in the day of expanding the work. So, hear our prayers. Dear Lord, remember those who are in great need today, those in our congregation who are sick or have come through surgery recently, some perhaps in hospital. Bless them where they are. Lord, we pray for Calvin Golliher today. We ask, O oh Father, that Your hand would be upon him, that You would touch him physically and spiritually as well. Bless Ian and Beulah at this time, and just undertake for them in this a great trial that they are finding themselves in at this time. Remember those that have been bereaved recently, comfort their hearts and strengthen them. And so, Lord, as we continue in our time of worship, in the singing of the Psalms and reading the Scripture, bless every single part of our service, and may we rejoice one with another. So, Lord, hear our prayers. Draw near to us now, we pray. And bless us, we pray in Jesus' precious and holy name. Amen. Psalm 133. Psalm 133, and we'll stand as we sing.
seated. Of course, Psalm 133 has been always taken and understood as a psalm of great encouragement and how the Lord delights in, encourages the unity there is among the people of God and among the brethren one of another. And it is a delightful thing. And there the Lord commands a blessing. And it's good for us to keep that in our minds as we go about our daily operation and service for the Master. Please turn now in your Bibles to the book of Acts chapter 4. The book of Acts chapter 4. We're reading at verse 23. The disciples have just been released from a time of being troubled, persecuted for their faith and for speaking the Word of God. And in verse 23, we're told, And being let go, they went to their own company and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said unto them. And when they heard that, they lifted up their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, Thou art God, which made heaven and earth and the sea and all that in them is, who by the mouth of Thy servant David hath said, Why did the heathen rage and the people imagine vain things? The kings of the earth stood up And the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against His Christ. For of a truth, against thy holy child Jesus, whom thou hast anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, were gathered together for to do whatsoever thy hand and thy counsel determined before to be done. And now, Lord, behold their threatenings, and grant unto thy servants that with all boldness they may speak thy word, by stretching forth thine hand to heal, and that signs and wonders may be done by the name of thy holy child Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together, They were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and they spake the word of God with boldness. And the multitude of them that believed were of one heart and of one soul. Neither said any of them that aught of the things which they possessed was his own, but they had all things common. And with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and great grace was upon them all. Neither was there any among them that lacked, for as many as were possessors of lands of houses sold them and brought the price of the things that that were sold and laid them down at the apostles' feet. And distribution was made unto every man according as he had need. And Joseph, who why by the apostles was surnamed Barnabas, which is being interpreted the son of consolation, a Levite, and of the country of Cyprus, 
having land, sold it and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Well, the time of the early New Testament church was a time of great excitement. It was a rich time of never knowing what a day was going to bring, what the next day was going to unfold to them. And as they were excited about the gospel message and filled with the Spirit of God to communicate that message, well, they ran into trouble. You know, whenever the blessing of God is upon His people, and whenever there is increase and growth, we can expect that there will be trouble from the devil. He does not like the advancement of God's kingdom. He doesn't like it when people have recently been converted and brought to Christ. He hates the fact that, Christian, you desire to go on with God, and he will try at every turn to raise opposition. Well, we have the pattern set before us in the early New Testament church so that when these things come upon us, let's not be so amazed. Let's not be so surprised. Realize as we are endeavoring to faithfully follow the Lord and to serve Him in our time, in our community, well, we can be ready that the devil is going to be trying to upset and disturb us. And so these disciples and the apostles, when they had suffered this persecution, they went back to the church and they gave a report. It's great to hear reports from things that are happening in the church of God. And when those reports are given, it is for the purpose of encouraging and encouraging prayer and also thanksgiving unto God. So, my dear friends, as we are struck by the unity that God gave to the church in those days and how no one had any lack because there was a community spirit among the believers. And while that involved the giving and selling of their property or goods, whoever desired to do that, and they brought it to the apostles' feet, and there was an equal distribution, that was a true sense of unity among the people. In a very small token way, well, you have brought in some things for Thanksgiving remembrance, and they're in the hallway at the back, and they will be distributed to some who might have more need than others do. But that's only a token. But in so many ways in the local church, you are giving and communicating when you know someone has need. And that's what it is to be part of the body of Christ. And here we are in a small sector of the church of Christ, and this is what we are to be about. And so, friend, have your ear to the ground and be paying attention to whatever might be a spiritual need, a, a need for encouragement, maybe some practical need as well, that we could help and encourage one another in the things of the Lord. May God bless His Word uh, to your heart today. Well, we want to welcome you all in the house of the Lord this morning. Very glad that you are all here and the Lord has brought you to the house of the Lord of prayer and praise this morning. And I want to thank you all for your prayers. We were away down at the week of prayer, presbytery meetings in Winston-Salem. I know that Brother Golliher was here last week, and Brother Gordon Ferguson 
Well, they said a few things about that and let you know how they were encouraged about the time and the meetings of prayer and so on. This coming Wednesday night at our prayer meeting, I want to give you a slightly more detailed report of some of the things that have been happening. But also, we, I've invited Mr. Bobby Rowe uh, to speak to us via Zoom on Wednesday night. Uh, he is a student at Geneva Reform Seminary, and he is going to be graduating in the will of God this year. And so I wanted to have this brother come and just share a little from the Word of God so you can remember him before the Lord as well. Anyways, wanted to say a word of thanks to all of you for remembering me as well in prayers and the time I was able to spend with uh, my daughter and family in North Carolina for a few days just this past week as well. Thanks to all the men, of course, the brethren who filled in uh, preaching in the pulpit and the prayer meeting as well, and doing all of the ministry and work, it is very, very much appreciated. Remember, please, the sick, both in our congregation and outside in our larger church family. We got a correspondence from Brother Golliher this past week going out to all the men, and it had to do all the churches. It has to do with his son, Calvin. Calvin lives in California. He is a minister in the gospel, and he is 33 years old. He has a wife and six children. And they recently discovered a mass on his lung. He'd been going through some pain and got some investigation. They're not altogether determined, unsure yet the full extent of it, but Brother Golliher and his wife Beulah would greatly appreciate the prayers of God's people for their family at this time. So do remember Calvin Golliher, please, in your prayers. And a word of happy birthday today. Our brother Cliff, I understand it's your birthday on the very day today. So we're happy you a very good birthday to you. And our sister Chloe had a birthday last week. And uh, we want to uh, say congratulations to these folks. And as we welcome uh, folks to our congregation, I know that some have been coming in uh, even from the outreach that we did to the community with the gospel postcards. And some have been requesting Bibles. And that's been encouraging. And others have come to visit, and we're very, very happy about that. And if you see someone new in the congregation, you be sure you make a beeline to them after the service and make sure that you welcome them warmly in the Savior's name. And it's also a great delight to have our brother Dave and sister Paula Wharton in our congregation this morning. Uh, they, for years ago, were from our Berean congregation down in Buffalo, New York, and they were up here in Canada uh, doing a little bit of a visit, and so they thought they'd stop by today and, and be with us, and you folks are very, very welcome. We're happy that you're here today, and remember you very much in the Lord. Remember also, please, some important ministry going on today in this incoming week. This afternoon at 5.50, we have our pre-service prayer time, and then our evening service will be at 6.30. And as I sometimes say, for those of you who don't know much about us, uh, our evening service is completely different from the morning service. I know that some churches have a 9 a.m., 11 a.m. morning service, and it's the same meeting just for two different lots of people, but we have a morning service as one, and an evening service is completely different as the Word of God is opened, and we invite you to come and be a part of all events on the Lord's Day. Uh, make it a full day in the house of God 
if you at all possibly can. Now, one of the things that I mentioned to you before was about our upcoming Congress in Northern Ireland that's being planned for July of 2024. And uh, we had a report on that at the uh, presbytery meetings. And so we've really had a push on now to, by the end of October, get an idea of how many folks in congregations might be interested in attending. So what we want to do is, after the evening service tonight, to wait behind if anybody would be even remotely interested or you want to hear more about it, you wait behind after the evening service tonight, and we'll be able to share a few details with you and then get maybe an idea of who might be interested. If you're online and you're getting this announcement, you'll not maybe be a part of that after the evening service tonight, but if you're at all interested in our Congress, then you can send an email to the church and we could send you information about that. I've already mentioned the prayer meeting on Wednesday night, and that will be at 7.30. And then also, please remember our session and board meeting on Thursday evening at 6 and 7.30. Also, want to say a word of congratulations to Sonia and Diego. Uh, Sonia is the daughter of Mahar and Rhea Lewis. They had their wedding ceremony this past Thursday, and uh, that was a very special time for them. And there's going to be a, a congregation church family reception coming up in a little while. We'll give you the exact date and time and details about that coming up, but that will be here in the church as well. And while I'm thinking about that, it's very good to see Nellie in the congregation this morning. Uh, Nellie's visiting from Holland, Rhea's sister, and uh, she tries to get over, well, as often as she can, but maybe once a year, but it's good to have Nellie in the congregation this morning, and uh, sadly, she has to make her way back home uh, this coming Wednesday. Remember, please, our sister in the Lord. But also, a word of congratulations to Robin and Carol Cleland. They're not here in the service this morning, but their daughter, Catherine, who has lived for many years down in Greenville, South Carolina, she was married to Travis, and that, that was just yesterday in South Carolina, and so we want to remember them as well before the Lord in prayer. A couple of advance announcements for you, and one of them has to do with our Port Hope 30th anniversary services, and those meetings are coming up uh, next week starting, so it's, it's upon us, and Monday to Friday, and if you and would like to go to those meetings and you would like to get a ride... There are some cars that are going to be doing. We can do some carpooling. So you can speak to some of the elders and find out if they're going or if other people are riding and you, you would like a ride to go, you can speak to them and they can make those arrangements. But we want to know today about the anniversary dinner that will be on the 28th, that's Saturday. And we need to know today if you're going to be attending. So that sheet's on the table at the back. Make sure you write your name on it and how many will be coming with your party. And so it'll, the cost is $25 each for that 30th anniversary dinner. We're looking forward to a very special time. During that week, sadly, I will not be able to attend the Port Hope meetings because I must go to the American Council meetings that will be held in a place called Kittery, Maine. And I'll be heading out there week, uh, week Tuesday. And appreciate your prayers as I'll be speaking in that conference don't forget also the ladies' Bible study on Zoom will be commencing on October the 31st via Zoom. 
Well, there's a lot of announcements and much for you to think over, and we don't want you to be overwhelmed by it all, but to be encouraged as we see many things going on in the work of God and much needed for your prayer. I was happy to see a photograph yesterday of the young adults that got out for an outing to the Forks of the Credit, went on a bit of a hike, and it was a lovely picture of uh, all them together, and uh, so that's a good blessing, and we ask you to remember in prayer all of the youth of our congregation. We're going to worship the Lord again by singing number 476. 476. And you will have noticed that the heat is on in the church. So we go from one to the other. Sometimes in the summertime it's so hot we can't get the AC to work function properly. But at least today you're cozy and you're warm as the heat is on. But don't get too cozy, because you get cozy and warm, and you tend to close your eyes a little bit, get a bit sleepy. We don't want that to happen. So we're going to stand as we sing and worship the Lord with number 476. I may the mind of Christ my Savior live in me from day to day. Turn, please, in your Bibles now to the book of 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 1, or rather chapter 3, and 1 Peter chapter 3. 
verse 1. Likewise, ye wives, be in subjection to your own husbands, that if any obey not the word, they also may, without the word, be won by the conversation, the behavior of the wives, whilst they behold your chaste conversation coupled with fear, whose adorning, let it not be that outward adorning of plaiting of hair, the wearing of gold, or of putting on of apparel, but let it be the hidden man of the heart, in that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a weak, of a meek and quiet spirit, which in the sight of God is of great price. For after this manner, in the old time, the holy women also who trusted in God adorned themselves, being in subjection unto their own husbands, even as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters ye are, as long as ye do well, and are not afraid with any amazement. Likewise, ye husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. Finally, be all of one mind, having compassion one of another. Love as brethren, be pitiful, be courteous, not rendering evil for evil or contrary-wise, railing for railing, knowing that ye are thereunto called, that ye should inherit a blessing. For he that will love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips that they speak no guile. Let him eschew evil and do good. Let him seek peace and ensue it. For the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous, and His ears are open unto their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against them that do evil. And who is he that will harm you, if ye be followers of that which is good? But and if ye suffer for righteousness' sake, happy are ye. Be not afraid of their terror, neither be troubled. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Let's bow, please, for a word of prayer. Father, we pray now that as the Scripture is open, that the Holy Spirit will come to give us knowledge and light. Father, I pray that I will know the help of the Holy Spirit in speaking the Word of God today, and that there would be no distraction, no hardness of heart, that You would give to every one of us as Your children understanding and insight into the Word. So, Lord, hear 
our prayer today. Draw near. We ask these things in Jesus' precious and holy name. Amen. I want to draw your attention this morning to verse 8 of chapter 3, where Peter says, Finally, be all of one mind, having compassion one of another, love as brethren, be pitiful, be courteous. I want us to think today on the subject of what it means to be a single-minded Christian. Many things that we deal with every day are similar, but they are different. An apple pie that is made with Granny Smith apples and one that would be made with Honey Crisp apples, they have similarities but the taste is distinctly different. Labrador retrievers have similar characteristics of that particular breed, but a variety of differences that make them distinct. A BMW and a Honda Civic are both cars, but they are distinctly and clearly identifiable by their differences. Now, these Examples are simple ones, and they are everyday examples, but they give us an indication of the difference between unity and uniformity. So all dogs do not look the same. They do not behave alike. All flowers do not look and smell like roses, and all cars are not stamped from the same mold. There is unity, but not uniformity. And so it is among people. We are alike, and we are different. And we must recognize both and be able to accept those distinctive differences. To those of us who call ourselves Christians, We are under the Spirit of God. We are possessed of the Spirit of Christ. And that being the case, we are under the law of God, the revealed Word of God in Holy Scripture. The Bible is to us an authoritative book. And it must be authoritative in the life of the faithful believer. But we also know that this translates into a variety of views on, for example, how a church should be governed. Is it by congregational government, or would it be as we are by elders and by representative government? Will a certain church have distinctive positions that are different from another body? Some might emphasize baptism in one way. Some people emphasize the Lord's table held weekly, others monthly, some semi-annually. There are variations of that. Some look at the subject of head covering in one way, uh, and others look at it in a a different position. How then are we to understand 
and apply the admonition that Peter gives in chapter 3 in verse 8, be ye all of one mind. How is that possible? What mind are we talking about here? Uh, what kind of behavior are we talking about? What is the doctrine that we must see as a unifying principle? Brothers and sisters, it's here that we must pray for great wisdom and the Spirit of God to show us what we are to believe and hold by conviction in the Word and how we are also to view other Christians in the world and as we interact one with another in the local congregation. And I want us to think this morning, therefore, on the subject of what it means to be single-minded believers, because if we do not have this essential element, then there's something wrong in our life, in our Christianity, in our perspective about what being a Christian is all about. And so it's important for us to look at the command that Peter is given by the Holy Spirit and then ask the questions, well, what does this mean and how are we to understand it? How can we come a little bit deeper? The first thought I leave with you is this. If we're going to be of one mind, then it must be of one mind toward the person of Christ and the fundamental teachings of the Word of God. There's a man by the name of Rupertus Meldenius. I think I have that right. He was a 17th century Lutheran theologian. And he is attributed with making this statement. In essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. In all things, charity or love. The essentials, they refer to the core doctrines that determine whether you are a true follower of Christ or you are a heretic. These are fundamental beliefs, and they all converge mainly upon the person and the work of Jesus Christ. They converge upon the Trinity of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, and also upon the divine inspiration and authority. Those two things are very important, the divine inspiration and the authority of the Bible. While other doctrines come under this definition of fundamental things, these are the main points. And there must be agreement on these core doctrines in order for there to be unity among true Christians. So in the essentials, in the core doctrines, in the fundamental things, there must be unity. Well, the next part of that statement was in the non-essentials liberty. We've already touched on a couple of those things. I will call them secondary gospel issues. Other people may not like that phrase because it sounds a little bit demeaning. But what I'm talking about are those issues that are not contingent 
upon our salvation. You can believe or have a varying opinion on secondary gospel issues, and you can still be a, a Christian and a faithful follower of Christ. But what we are called to do is to acknowledge that there is a difference of opinion among faithful believers on some of these important things, whether it is the mode of baptism, on who should be baptized, on how a church could rightfully be governed, on what will happen when Christ returns or before He returns, and how all that will unfold. The subjects are, well, they are very complex and varied opinions on these subjects, they can be held with differences, and yet a person is not a heretic. Now, they may not be part of a local fellowship because usually people who are united in a local fellowship, they've come down to a basic agreement on the issues that they believe the Scripture teaches. Oh, there's going to be some still some things that may be difference is among believers in one fellowship, like our own. But we are called to be in unity, but not uniformity. We are not all robots. We do not all look the same. We do not all have all the same tastes or characteristics or desires. It summed up the statement. In all things, charity. In all things, love. Let the grace, the grace of love, undergird all our teaching and discussion and debate among fellow believers. Therefore, to be single-minded in our Christian life, we must have a focus upon our Lord Jesus upon His Word, and endeavoring to uphold the truth and the unity of the body of Christ, of true Christians. Peter, in his epistle, has just been writing about family relations, precisely between the husband and the wife. And the responsibility of wives toward their husbands and of husbands toward the wives will only be properly interpreted and practiced in obedience to the Scripture. And I emphasize this as each one, husband and wife, as they see their place before God in the creation model. If we don't observe these things in the creation model that God has given to us, we will misinterpret, we will take them astray. So the idea of submission and giving honor is so often not only just rejected, but it is disdained by the world. And the danger is that we as Christians can be influenced by the thinking of the world. We can be influenced by advertisements and things we observe or hear or read. And we must be always very careful about that because the devil is so insidious. He drops a little seed into our mind. And he causes some sort of tension or friction between the husband and wife or in family relations. And this goes to break down the unity. 
And friend, you ask yourself in your own heart, in your own relation in life, has that happened to me? Has it happened in my marriage? Uh, Am I guilty of this? Well, of course, as fallen Christians and believers who have been saved out of a sinful life, and as we are progressing in our sanctification, there are always going to be these areas in our life where we can put our finger on it and say, yeah, I messed up there. Yeah, I, I didn't do this very well. I need to have the grace of God here in this relationship. And so we pray that continually. But at the core of the matter, we must see it very clearly that God has instituted the relationship within the family as the core of the local congregation and as the core of all society. Because if things break down in the family between husband and wife and father and son and mother and daughter, then all things will dissolve and break down. And the exhortation that comes to us here today is this, be of one mind. Be single-minded Christians in our relationship. Husbands, we are called to love our wives as Christ loved the church. And wives are called to submit to their husbands as they submit to Christ and to His Word. And these will prove to be a solid foundation in the marriage, and they will be able then to weather the storms of every human relationship and family trial, and I would say in the local church as well. And yes, when things are out of order, or this has been set aside, then we can prepare for compounded trouble. Not just the trial itself, but the fallout of strained relations. How will this unity of mind and heart be cultivated among believers? It will be as we are single-minded toward our Lord Jesus Christ. Our devotion to Him, our love for His Word, our submission to His authority. And believer, it's not enough to have this in kind of a theological format and you check the boxes off. Yeah, I've been there, done that, all is good. No, it becomes, it becomes a daily part of our communion with the Lord. It becomes a daily part of us desiring, Lord, I want Your mind in my life. I want to have this singleness of heart toward my Savior. So what does it look like and how will we do this? Well, it will be as we know our Lord more and we know Him better. The Apostle Paul said that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings. When a person is born again and brought into a living relationship with Jesus, they are described as not only knowing about the Lord, but they know Him, we know Him in a personal way. 
we acknowledge and receive that He died in our place. He died to pay the price of our sin. He died in order that we could be justified fully and freely and declared righteous in His sight. And this knowledge of God is at the very heart of our conversion, being brought out of the darkness and into the light, into the liberty of the sons and daughters of God. But friends, that's only the beginning of our journey to know more and more about our Lord. And it's the ministry of the Holy Spirit to show us more of the depths of the unsearchable riches of our Lord Jesus. And that will be shown to us through the Word. It's not by vision, not by dreams. It is by the revealed Word of God. And in our lifelong education, we pray that we will be fed by the Scripture and we will grow in personal knowledge and devotion. And we will also grow by the mentoring of other mature believers. We will grow in grace by being under the preaching of the Word. We will learn more and more of the depths of the riches of our Lord and Savior. And so as we grow in the knowledge of Christ, we will reflect the grace of that knowledge to other Christians, the grace of that knowledge. Is it being seen in our lives, believer? Is it being seen in your life? Is it being seen in my life? The more that we grow in our affection toward the Savior, the more that we will reflect our Lord and it will translate into a unity of heart, one with another. Yes, we'll be able to look beyond the, uh, the failures of others, look beyond the idiosyncrasies, look beyond the, well, the eccentric things that we all seem to have about our nature. We can look beyond those things and smile, perhaps, and say, Lord, if I'm seeing those in other people, I can be sure that they're seeing those things in me. So therefore, I need, I need to have much grace. When the apostle said that I might know Him, it placed in perspective our knowledge and interaction with other people. It's not that we are not to be familiar with our brothers and our sisters in, the, in Christ, we are to have knowledge of them, and we are to know of their needs and care for them, but our knowledge of Christ is on a very different level, and we know that's true. But the higher knowledge or aspiration of that knowledge of our Lord, it will be the undergirding. It will be that which defines and qualifies all other human relationships. In other words, the more we know of the attributes and actions and reactions of our Savior, the more we'll appreciate and demonstrate the true love and compassion that we are to have towards others. So let's ask ourselves just now, how am I 
doing? How am I doing? To know Him. But there's something more in this quest for singleness of mind and being unity around, unified around Christ. It's to know Him, yes, and it is to have His mind. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And what exactly, we ask, is the mind of Christ that we are to have? Philippians 2 makes it fairly clear. It's the mind of humility. We can say that very quickly. And humility, as we see it reflected in the life of our Lord, was nothing of a mask. It wasn't put on. The Lord's humility was not put put there to impress others. It wasn't that He took this humility on Himself to pretend that He was something that He wasn't. The humility of Christ was in the purest form of what is described and defined as humility. And how could you see it any other way but the glorious God of heaven and earth who descends down to become a human being and takes upon Him the form of sinful flesh and mingles among other sinners and lives His life and determines to veil His glory for a cause and a purpose that is so sublime, so tremendous, so magnanimous that we cannot enter into it so great salvation. And we are called to let this mind be in us that was also in Christ Jesus. Humility is not something that people put on as clothing. It's not put on as a a matter of a sorry face or a sad countenance or trying to present yourself as being a holy person in a form of worship or some other way. It's not just how you walk into the house of God and you're all very solemn and so on. That's not what humility is. Humility is mirroring the person of Christ and letting His mind be our mind. But we also see it in the Lord in His selflessness because He not only took on Him the form of human flesh, but He allowed Himself to become the the mocking, abused Son of God that He was. He allowed Himself to be criticized. He allowed Himself to be scorned. He allowed Himself to be called a liar and a deceiver. His goal and quest for the salvation of our soul was so much a selfless expression. His mind, His behavior. And in this, He was surrendered to the will of His heavenly Father. And that surrendering of His will 
Keep in mind that the Lord Jesus knew where He had come from. He knew what He had had before. He knew the glory that He shared with His heavenly Father. He knew all the splendor and perfection of an eternal communion with His Father that He was prepared to put on the altar, so to speak. And His surrender to the will of the Father in the salvation of our soul was so tremendous, so selfless, so much a surrendering of the individual self. And brothers and sisters, if we are to be of one mind among the body of Christ, and we begin to investigate a little more, a little further, into what that means and what that picture looks like, not in theory, but in the real time, the rubber meeting the road type of Christianity, we, we must have God's grace to be able to see this and to do it. And that's where we come to pray. And we say, Lord, let this mind be in me. Uh, let me know more of Him. And let me be prepared to put myself in the background and others first, that I will sacrifice things that are pleasing to me, things that are on my agenda, things that I would like to have or do. But for the cause of others, we're prepared to have a sacrifice on these matters. We will never be able to meet this mark, will we, about what our Lord did? Of course not. But the Spirit behind it is what is being driven at here, and that's what the Holy Spirit is emphasizing upon our minds. He wants us to take hold of this. He wants us to grasp the point behind it. As I was preparing this message I stopped and prayed that, Lord, to whatever degree these qualities are in me, as scarce as I often see them to be, I pray that they will be increased as I grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord Jesus. That's a simple prayer. And I suggest that if each one of us in this fellowship pray that prayer, that the Lord will do yet greater things among us. It is His will to pray that prayer. And as we are seeking God and praying these prayers into our lives that we know are part of His will, then we have the petition we desired of the Lord. Will this not affect the unity and the oneness of the heart toward other Christians? When we resist our own ways and desires and determine that others are better than ourselves, then the unity among brothers and sisters will be a very sweet unity. It will be a productive and a prosperous unity. It will be a wholesome thing. And the more that this is desired, I'll tell you, the less the devil will be able to get in with a root of bitterness. 
with a little thing that's going to cause disunity. And so we're all pulling together in the same direction. We're all of one heart and one mind. And it's to know Him, to have His mind, and is also to reflect His perfection and His beauty. The more we have His mind, the more we will possess His attributes of perfection and beauty. And it's not the beauty of physical appearance, we know that, for that's only temporary. And as we all are getting older by the day, and the wrinkles and the lines and the grayness of hair, that beauty is passing, if it was ever there to begin with. But the beauty being talked about here is the beauty of a holy life. It's that of the inner person. And we want to see that develop in our sanctification. And is this not what the church on earth and the local church needs more of? What is it that hinders our growth and brings the scorn of the world very often? It's when churches bicker. It's when churches divide and split apart over foolish and silly things. Now, there is time when a church has to separate because of a doctrinal matter. I know that. Church history tells us that. But there are other times when it's just willfulness and it's just self-interest, and therefore we have to be very, very careful about those things and pray that the Lord will be glorified in us and that there will be less of the world seen us in our behavior, in our worship, in all of these things, and more of Christ. Yes, we must be single-minded toward the person of our Lord. And the second thought is this. We must be single-minded in our purpose. If we believe in a sovereign God, then we know that we are not any one of us here by accident. The timing, the location, the family in which we were born in, it was all part of the eternal purpose of an all-knowing God. And this means that our lives have purpose, not random, not by chance, not the roll of the dice, but with meaning to live out with determination, the reason why we are here. Friend, that means you today. That means you as an individual. You're not just seen as one large mass. God sees your life as a saved sinner here on purpose. And when a person, though, denies the existence of God, when a, a person sees that the order of nature and all things around us are just the result of some random chance, what does that mean? It means there's no meaning to life. We are here by some bizarre, incomprehensible freak combustion of gases and somehow formed into life and developed into what we are today of humankind. When this view is held, as it is by many, that have even high degrees of academia, the logical conclusion is simply this, that nothing and no one and all civilization that is formed has come here with any purpose. 
It's all simply by a random chance. But you see, to hold the position that there is no such thing as an intelligent designer behind all life is a view that takes more faith than Christians have faith because of the lack of evidence that there is around for any of this to be taking place. The blind leaps into the abyss of human reasoning. It leads to a position that all life is without meaning or purpose, and that all anyone has to look forward to is you're going to die like a dog and be buried in the ground, and there's nothing else beyond that. And what is the conclusion of that? It is a state of utter and complete hopelessness. It's the subject of nihilism. Nihilism teaches that life has no meaning or real existence. But such is not the case for the God-fearing person who has met Jesus Christ in salvation. And by faith you have trusted in Him to redeem your soul, and He has given you a purpose for living. And that purpose, my dear friends, is to bring glory to His name. This is the reason for life and why we have been created and why we are here the purpose that we have to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. And this single-minded purpose, it gives us meaning to life. It gives us conviction as to why we are here. And it's not to please ourselves. It is that we might glorify our God. Is that we might see that our place is not random. Our purpose is not accidental. It is for the glory of God. It is also for the extension of Christ's kingdom. And that's why we are involved in giving outreach into our community and across Sermon Audio and in other forms that we can. Our electronic sign at the front of the church that we are always asking the Lord to bless His Word as it scrolls to our neighbors and friends. And I'm very thankful for the vision that you have for this and for the gospel postcards that have been mailed into the community. Let's pray that the Lord will yet bring in a greater harvest for that. It's the message of light and of hope. And as it goes out into our community, some have already visited. Some have requested Bibles. But let's pray that the Word will yet go out. And such a passion for the lost and that working to see sinners brought to Christ, it gives us a unity of focus, doesn't it? Helps us to concentrate on the things that are really important in life and not to be sidetracked with other less important things, but to always have the larger picture of the eternal kingdom of our Lord in front of us. And friends, it's also for our eternal reward. Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not corrupt and thieves cannot break through and steal. Yes, we are, we are planting seeds for an eternal harvest. And every time we plant the seed of the Word of God, we are planting 
that which will be a harvest for eternity. Sometimes that harvest, you might think, nothing much is growing from this. But when the Lord will bring His final judgment day, the Word of God that we thought had no benefit or value, it will also be the benefit and the value used by the Lord in an evidence against those who have rejected the gospel. Friends, let's think about that. There is the positive and the negative aspect of the Word of God. And as we give out that Word, we do it by faith. And we do it in obedience to God's Word. And we're looking for that everlasting reward. It's good to have the eternal picture. Some folks may not have much in this life. Some folks may go on living from paycheck to paycheck and never seem to get really far ahead. But you are faithful in the Gospel. You are faithful in the Word of God. And the Lord knows your need and He knows where you are. And believer, that's the important thing to remember. It doesn't matter on the superficial things. The Lord has promised to take care of you. What's most important is laying up for ourselves treasures in heaven. We are to be single-minded toward the person of Christ. We are to be single-minded in our purpose that will bring to us eventually an everlasting reward. And I close with this. We must be single-minded, of one mind, toward God's people. Come back to the text we have before us. Peter says, finally, be all of one mind, having compassion one of another, love as brethren, be pitiful, and be courteous. What does that mean? What does that look like? Oh, friends, you, you cannot get away from the fact that this is just what it means to be a believer and to work with other Christians. It is to have a compassionate, merciful heart. It's to have love one toward another. It's to have all the aspects of the life and the attributes of our Lord Jesus working out daily in our life, the fruit of the Spirit. It's to have compassion and mercy. It's to have kindness, the loving kindness of the Lord. I shared that with you a couple of weeks ago from Psalm 107. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for His goodness and His wonderful works to the children of men. The very last verse of that psalm speaks about the loving kindness of the Lord. And how kind has God been to us, and therefore how kind and merciful we are called to be to others. May the Lord help us in this. Brothers and sisters, we need His grace. But if you're not a believer here today, I exhort you, don't put off. Now is the time to come to Christ. Now is the accepted time. Call upon Him. Confess your sins to Him. And He has promised that as you call, He will hear. He will respond. He will forgive. He will save your soul. I pray that you will do this today to the honor of His great name. We're going to close our service.
by singing a hymn that is not in our book. I want the musicians, please, to play through the first verse as you watch the words, and then we will sing this hymn together. Please stand. Let's close, please, in prayer. Father, we pray that this desire and prayer may be upon every one of our hearts. Lord, that we would walk closer to our Savior day by day. We would know His grace increasing in our lives, that we would know that sweet and precious unity 
and singleness of heart, oneness of mind. Lord, we would have unity, not uniformity, in our fellowship and in our witness. So hear, Lord, our prayers. Save precious souls today, we ask. Part us now in your fear with your rich and mighty blessing. For we pray all this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.